This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Welcome back and joining me now from Mexico, Meghan Markle's estranged father, Thomas, here to make a world-exclusive announcement that will rock the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, which could see him coming face-to-face with the pair in the very near future. I can reveal Thomas has taken the momentous decision to fly to London for the first time to celebrate a historic moment in the history of the monarchy, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebrations next month. The 77-year-old will be crossing the Atlantic from his home with GB News and is hoping this grand gesture will allow him to reunite with Meghan as well as meet his son-in-law Harry, his grandchildren Archie and Lilibet and his new royal relatives for the first time. Thomas Markle, great to speak to you. It's even better to hear the news that finally, after missing the wedding all those years ago, you're going to be coming to the UK next month for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebrations. Talk to me. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I'm going to show my respects for the Queen. And I'm going to uh, make sure that the Queen understands that my, my entire family respects the Queen and the royals. And we, uh, we, we admire them. And uh, we... We want, we want them to know that's how we feel about them and that's how we feel about England. Thomas, would you like to meet with Prince Charles in particular when you are here in London? I really would like to meet with Prince Charles and thank him for walking my daughter down the aisle and also uh, just to meet and talk with him because I think we have a lot in common now. Uh, we've pretty much both been ghosted by our, our children. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd really enjoy talking to them. If that's possible, uh, that would be great. And, Thomas, I guess you're reaching out to all members of the royal family to try and get some time with them. That's right. A- anyone, I, anyone I can talk to... Uh, uh, I, I want them to understand that that we have no ill feelings about the royals whatsoever. We'd have nothing but respect and admiration for them. And the same feeling goes for all the British people. And actually, I want to thank the British people because they, they've been reaching out to me now and, and extending uh, their, their feelings for me. And I really appreciate that. Thomas, the big question, of course, is whether Harry and Meghan will be in London too. We don't know at this point. Uh, Are you expecting them here? And if so, would you like to meet with them in London too during the Platinum Jubilee celebrations? Uh, Interesting question. I'm, 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 I'm getting the feeling that if they know I'm coming, they won't be coming. But uh, if they do come, I, I would love to. I would love to uh, reach out and uh, and and speak with them and 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 try to figure out what what went wrong and how we can repair it. Uh, I don't see that happening, but I certainly would like to try. Um, Thomas, I want to play you what Prince Harry 
had to say about the Queen's Jubilee, uh, because he seems to make out that it's actually to do with security as to why he might not make the trip. Let's have a look. This was from NBC's Today Show last week. Her, it was great. It was, it was just so nice to see her. You know, she's on, she's on great form. We always, she's always got a great sense of humour uh, with me, and I'm just making sure that she's, you know, protected and got the, the right people around. Well, she won't so. be bored of the Jubilee, will she? Uh, no. Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> she's, had a, she's had a few Jubilees now, so every, everyone's slightly, yeah. every, everyone is slightly different. But yeah. Do you think you'll come? I don't know yet. There's lots of things, with security uh, issues and everything else. So this is what I'm trying to do, trying to make it possible that, you know, I can get my kids to meet her. In these moments, do you ever feel your mom's presence? Yeah, yeah no, um, for me, um, it's constant. It has been over the last two years. So, so, Thomas, that was him talking about Princess Diana, which I want to pick up on, but can we speak first about the Queen? He says he might not be able to come for security reasons. I mean, you're coming. I've... Is this gutless of him? I think it's ridiculous. He, he, know, he knows how much security you're going to have. So, I mean, he, he's totally safe in that situation. And my God, he's going, he's going off to the games, which would be far more dangerous for him than, than to be at, at, at the Jubilee. Uh, so I, 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 don't, I don't understand half the things he says. And I, 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 I have so little respect for that man that... Um, I think he's an idiot, and to talk to, to first of all, to come over, come over, to fly all the way over, and not bring the children—that's uh, ridiculous. First, first of all, you don't. Most mothers don't leave a nine-month-old child behind. They usually hold on to that child till the child gets a little older. That's one thing that really bothers me. But the idea, the idea that uh, they won't feel safe is ridiculous. So you think Meghan should have travelled to the Invictus Games with Archie and Lilibet and actually introduced them to the Queen, for goodness sake, because they claim they That's love the Queen the point. so much. Absolutely. I mean... It, not bringing the children was like another slap in the face to the Queen. It was very rude and, and the wrong thing to do. Uh, and uh, it makes no sense at all. And the other thing is not seeing these children makes no sense at all as well. So uh, I, here again, I don't know whether it's Meghan or whether it's Harry, but uh, the Queen should, should have every right to see her great-grandchildren, and I should, have, I should have the right to see my grandchildren. Uh, yeah. Well, so indeed. if they show up, I hope they bring the kids. And, Thomas, I want to talk to you about what Prince Harry had to say about Prince Charles and Prince William, or actually it might be better to phrase it as what he didn't have to say about Prince Charles and Prince William. Take a look at this. Family uh, at home, do you miss them? Um, yes, I think, especially over the last two years, for most people, have they not missed their family, right? The inability to be able to get home yeah. and see them. Of course, that's a, yeah, that's a huge part of it. But do you miss your brother, your dad? Look, I mean, I'm, for me, at the moment, I'm here yeah. focused on these guys. Thomas, he wouldn't even say their name. I, I don't understand their differences or what's happening. I, I, 
uh, I, I guess his uh, 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 his chickens are more important than his family. Uh, that's where he seems to spend his time now with his chickens. So. Um, and his bicycle. So um, uh, I, I don't know what their fallout was. Uh, I think he owes an apology to his father. Uh, he certainly owes an apology to the Queen. And, uh, and, and Meghan as well should be making the same apologies. Do you feel like Meghan has purposefully driven Prince Harry away from his family? Yes. Why? Yes, I do. Uh, I, I, have no, I, I don't know why, but I, I, I think she had uh, something to do with him, uh, him, him moving out or uh, taking her away. Uh, actually, apparently the story was he was taking her away from uh, uh, things that were upsetting her. Uh, I don't buy that story. I never have since it came out. Uh, the, the suicide story and so forth. I don't. I don't buy that at all. Um, I, I think they were looking for some reason to, to, to get out. I, I don't know why my daughter, who should have should have loved the idea of becoming uh, a part of the royals and reaching out and shaking hands with children all day long and. and Meeting, meeting people and, and greeting people. Uh, it's what an actor does, too. Uh, and she would have been so loved had she stayed and done that. Uh, instead, she takes Harry away. They hold up in a, a, you know, a, a big house with no company, never have any company. They just hold up in a big house and do nothing. I know. And Thomas, it means you still haven't met your grandchildren, uh, do you hold out hope no. that that will happen? I, I do, do hope that I will, will get to see my grandchildren. I, I, don't know, I, I don't know what the circumstances will be. I don't want them to be hostile circumstances. I want them to be friendly circumstances. So I don't know what, how that will happen at this point. And, Thomas, uh, how worried are you about Prince Harry's book? Because what I'm hearing is that he is preparing to not be very nice about his own father, Prince Charles, uh, Prince Charles's wife, Camilla, and his brother, Prince William. Uh, obviously, the suspicion would be that he might also be not very nice about you in, in his book. Are you prepared for that? How do you feel about it? I welcome it. I'm I'm not very nice about him. I I I I'd take him on any time. He's he's like a he's like a child. He follows he follows my daughter around like a like, like a child. Uh, he, he's not a man. Uh, I, you can tell me he was in the military. I don't believe it. Uh, I think uh, I think he's kind of a wuss and always will be. And. Um, He's got a brother that's a real man, and uh, he's got a father that's a real man, uh, but uh, I don't think he's ever grown up. Donald Trump, Thomas, uh, says that Harry has been whipped by your daughter. Whipped was the word that he, he used. Do you agree with his assertion? 
Well, that's the only time I'll ever agree with Donald Trump. But yeah, I, I, I do agree with Donald Trump. <laughs> Thomas, well, look, we are so excited about having you in the UK for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Let me tell you, the British people are with you. They want to meet you. This is going to be a really exciting time next month, Thomas. So I cannot wait for you finally to be on that plane. Well, I, I hope I hope they like me. I'm like I said, I, I'm a country boy. I, I, you know, so I, I hope I fit in, and I, I really want to come, and I do want to show my respect and my love and admiration for the Queen and for the royal family, we'll and all of Britain. We cannot wait to have you. And thank you so much. No, it will be great. I'm really looking forward to having you next month. Thomas Markle, live from Mexico. Thank you so much, Thomas. We'll see you next month. And breaking tonight, Elon Musk has agreed a £35 billion deal to buy Twitter. The monumental agreement means the world's richest man is at the helm of a company with 217 million users and one which hugely influences the political and the media agenda, even though I know most sane folk don't want to go anywhere near it, quite rightly too. So, the SpaceX tycoon earlier hinted that the deal was completed when he tweeted, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. Twitter's board had spent two weeks trying to fend off the Tesla CEO's bid, but they warned, for the but they warmed to the sale after Musk last week revealed he'd lined up a funding package, including the backing of banking giant Morgan Stanley. Musk has repeatedly vowed to save it from liberal authoritarians and turn it into an arena for genuine freedom of expression, branding himself a free speech absolutist. Well, Neil Oliver, I mean, for me, this is fantastic news, absolutely great news. But can Elon Musk alone really save free speech online? Well, Dan, I would echo your optimism, but that is the, that's the $64,000 question, if not the $44 billion question. Ultimately, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, because it's, it's, it's unknowable exactly what he plans to do with Twitter. Um, first, you're right, Twitter has been a hellscape for years. It's like ducking for apples in an open sewer. Um, it's just that it's, <laughs> it offers such reach uh, that a, a lot of us feel obliged to, you know, to hold our noses and, and jump in and, and swim like crazy for survival and make the best of it. Uh, the, the first thing that my reaction, my first reaction was that the wailing and gnashing of teeth of, of all those voices that came out so bitterly opposed to, to his promise to return free speech to Twitter, that was a joy to behold. Uh, it was one of those classic examples of him annoying all the right people uh, and that, that Elon Musk's offer to do this, to return freedom of speech to a, a social media platform, was so furiously received. That was almost, that was almost joy enough on its own. It's that lack of self-awareness amongst the people who are being so trenchant in their criticism, you know, because they're quite openly declaring that Twitter should be controlled by rich technocrats. They just don't want it to be anyone but themselves. You know, those that, that feel they've got control of the platform or they like the, the ways and means of, of the of the group that is controlling Twitter. They're perfectly happy with it being censorious and about cancelling and all, all the rest of the, the accusations that are levelled at Twitter. 
they just don't want an outsider you know coming in and being the new owner but we'll just have to watch it's such a tantalizing prospect it could be great it could be the return of of an open sharing of ideas on on a social media platform but it will the proof of the pudding will be in the eating as they say Ducking for apples in a running sewer. I, I, I love the way you put things here. I'm a very good uh, way to describe Twitter, I would agree. Surely, Neil, if Elon Musk is serious about his free speech absolutist approach, the first thing he needs to do is reinstate all of those folk who Twitter have banned over the past few weeks. Now, of course... The most famous of them all is the former president, Donald Trump, but there's also folk uh, who we have spoken to, like Robert Malone, uh, the acclaimed scientist who happened to have a different view on the COVID vaccine, for example. Uh, there's people who have spoken out against the woke trans orthodoxy. They all have to be reinstated, don't they, Neil? Uh, yes, uh, yeah, uh, Donald Trump. You know the previous, previously the the, the leader of the free world that, that he was shut down on Twitter was that was a that was just ludicrous. Uh, and then a, you know of a, a person of a different sort altogether, Robert Malone. Yes, just a, a questioning voice who, who had another take on efficacy of and the appropriate use of of the COVID nineteen vaccines or not. Yes, they must be allowed back in. It is fascinating. There's there's no getting away from the fact that free speech can be interpreted countless different ways. What do you mean? What what is it? Should there be any kind of censorship at all? Should it be a uh, an unmonitored free for all. This is all up for uh, debate. But you know, this is that's the thing. This is it's it's being pitched as a happy ending that Elon Musk has bought Twitter, and it might be. It's definitely the the potential for the beginning of something new. But we have to wait and watch. Um, I, I mean, we we live in a world in which individuals, a handful of individuals, own and control so much, almost everything. That is the reality. You know, back in the 60s and 70s, when the internet was was being established, the, the, the utopian dream was that it would be all open source, sharing, no owners, everyone equal. That never happened. I mean, it was the US military that financed it in the beginning, so it was probably never going to happen. And it, it, it's probably not ideal that, that any given individual owns and controls something so powerful, but then it was ever thus. You know, the newspapers and television channels, that what were previously the, the ways in which information was broadly circulated and shared, they've always been owned by rich men. That's, that's, is, that, that's been in the, in the nature of papers. It's been in the nature of TV channels. You know, look at the Murdoch Empire and, and all the rest of it. It's probably not ideal that, that one person has it. And as you say, Morgan Stanley are part of the, fin the funding package because Musk apparently wasn't rich enough on his own to just go and buy Twitter off the shelf. So that means you've got a, a huge uh, uh, funding, banking organisation, a corporate, you know, run by a board for profit. You know, they're they're involved in it as well, and that will presumably have uh, implications that will come with it. But at the moment, it's it's an optimistic sign. There was a stranglehold, there was a chokehold on Twitter. It was it was censorious, and arbitrary bans were being handed out left, right, and centre, and they always seemed to be banning the same people. For, for more or less the same reasons, just speaking out against someone's idea of, of an orthodoxy, an, an approved narrative. And if Elon Musk can bring it back to being some kind of open square where people can legitimately share ideas, argue, debate, then 
let's be let's look on the bright side and hope that uh, he lets the little blue bird of Twitter out of its cage. Yes, out of its cage, the bird is free. Very good points, Neil Oliver. I would just say there's a lot to be unpicked within that organisation, of course, yeah, yeah, because yeah, exactly, it's embedded. That's, that's, that, that's very interesting also because there's been lots of allegations about, you know, algorithms and shadow yeah, banking. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was all sorts of nefarious stuff going on, or was it not? Well, exactly. now would be an opportunity to see if any if there was any basis of truth on that. Exactly. All just... But there needs to be new leadership, I think, in that company, which hopefully there now will be. Neil Oliver, fascinating analysis. We'll speak next week, Neil. And, of course, Neil is back Thanks, with his man. own show, Saturday nights, here on GB News. But it's time now for Uncancelled. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. And joining me tonight is not only one of the world's leading infectious disease epidemiologists, but the victim of a vicious smear campaign designed to punish those who refuse to submit to the mainstream narrative about lockdowns. The brilliant Professor Sunitra Gupta is the co-author of the Great Barrington Declaration, the open letter signed by nearly 50,000 medical minds calling for an alternative to damaging COVID restrictions. Now, I wanted Sunitra on because last week in my lockdown inquiry, the former Health Secretary Matt Hancock vigorously defended his crippling COVID laws and claimed there was no alternative to harmful lockdowns. But the critical point about, about lockdown is that it was necessary until the vaccine could make us safe. The forecasts of increased cases and increased deaths, the problem wasn't the forecast, the problem was that the forecasts were coming true. And the costs of inaction, and we could see that the costs of inaction were going to be absolutely enormous. What I'm not getting is any sense of regret about what the British public were put through at times unnecessarily. The word that I disagree with in your question there is unnecessarily. Well, to respond, Professor Sunitra Gupta. Professor Gupta, was, was there really no alternative to lockdown, as Matt Hancock so confidently claimed last week, despite very vigorous questioning by yours truly? Um, that is uh, pure hubris, of course, on his part. Um, what we didn't know two years ago is the extent to which lockdown would actually work to slow the spread of COVID. Um, we, we had several things we didn't know. Uh, but one thing we did know is that lockdowns would cause a lot of harm. And today we're looking at, what is this? So I've just got the figures here. A quarter of a billion more people may be plunged into extreme poverty. So those are things we knew. What we didn't know is whether lockdowns would have any effect on uh, COVID infections. Um, two years later, we, we do know. Um, and the reason we know is because the models which incorporated that assumption have failed to predict what would happen when restrictions are released. Uh, that indicates that that assumption was incorrect. In other words, what we saw in terms of the course of the pandemic uh, was hardly affected by lockdowns. Lockdowns did have an effect on endemic diseases, um, and we're seeing some of those effects now, um, some of which are quite unfortunate. But as far as COVID goes, I don't think there's 
much evidence. I would say there's evidence now that the lockdowns did very little to stop the spread of infection. And because we didn't institute a focused protection of those who are vulnerable, it did very little to stop the deaths of those unfortunate people. And Professor Gupta, what is so frustrating for me, and I'm sure you share this, is the narrow-mindedness when it comes to having this discussion, given the wealth of data that is now out there. I mean, I just put up the front page, or very a uh, few few moments ago, put up the front page of the Daily Telegraph tomorrow, talking about this international hepatitis outbreak in children now. And all of this was predicted. I mean, I remember speaking to folk like you very early in 2020, you said there are going to be all of these costs of lockdowns on our health because of a lack of natural immunity. And it's happening now, and there still seems to be a complete tin-aired approach from our leaders that lockdowns were the right thing. What is really unfortunate, and wasn't necessarily clear to us then, but should have been really, is that lockdowns would have a disproportionate effect on the endemic diseases. Mm. So those are the ones that disappeared. But because endemic, epidemic diseases are, are at a, you know, they, they have a lot of catching up to do in terms of getting enough people immune so that uh, their spread is restricted, lockdowns actually do very little to stop that process. What they do do, as I said, is they knock out the endemic diseases and then you have problems because, and this is something we teach our undergraduates, when you delay the age at which you first get infected, you often have more severe symptoms. So this, I'm not saying it's absolutely, you know, it's confirmed, but this hepatitis example is, is, you know, it's a very plausible um, explanation for why we're seeing this. And it, we should just treat it as, as a warning, um, as, as another negative consequence. But, you know, let's face it, there were other consequences that were absolutely obvious. Yes. And what unfold in front of us. I mean, people were being sent back to their villages in India, um, you know, and unable to make the few rupees that would allow them to to have a meal that day, uh, which meant they died on 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 route. So some of these things are a little bit more complex and require us to understand endemic disease and all of that nonsense. But you know, really, at the end of the day, the fact that lockdowns would mm. kill poor people was, I think, pretty obvious right at the start. And just finally, do you feel like, Professor, you have got your voice back now? Because Hancock was one of the folk who tried to smear the Great Barrington Declaration. And there was certainly a move by the entire uh, medical establishment to shut you down and to shut down your brilliant co-authors, Martin Kaldorf and Dr J Bhattacharya as well, despite your immense wealth of qualifications. Well, the truth at the end of the day is not so much whether we were right or wrong or, you know, what actually would unfold. It's that we were shut down. Yes. You know, it's it's not... It's there chilling. is no pleasure to be taken in um, accepting or saying or that we, you know, were in the main correct. Um, there's nothing to be gained from that. It's just really unfortunate that we were shut down. And what's also horrific 
is the tone, the lack of etiquette that continues to prevail, particularly in the social media, among academics. I think Anna? it's high time the universities, the Royal Society, took measure, took to, you know, adopted some sort of policy that stopped people from engaging in this absolutely abhorrent behaviour. I know, to try and shut academics like yourself down. Well, Professor Sunitra Gupta, you're very much uncancelled always on this show, and it is so great to speak to you tonight. Thank you so much, Professor. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review, and join me for more news-making interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooten tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.